Welcome to Wisdom Talk Radio, a collaborative community of explorers in conscious living. Welcome to today's episode of Wisdom Talk Radio. So let me ask you, what does success mean to you? And does it include the way in which you live your life? And if you see yourself as part of the human family, then how is your success both a part of that and a reflection of that? Having been on both sides of the spiritual student and teacher relationship, I'm looking forward to welcoming a spiritual master to Wisdom Talk Radio to share himself. I'm Laurie Seymour, host of Wisdom Talk Radio and CEO and founder of the Baca Institute, home of the Inner Guidance Mastery Blueprint. Head there to discover your quantum connection with your inner guidance by taking the quantum connection quiz. We are each designed to connect with source differently. And knowing your own style is the first step in aligning with your inner guidance at a deeper level than you ever thought you could. And it's also the, really the secret to creating what you truly want in your life, or at least one of the secrets. So I'm very pleased today to welcome J.J. Gould. I can call you Justin, right? Right. Who's, um, and the, first, the diverse themes of his five books that he has written speak not only to his eclectic perspective, but his to eclectic, his eclectic history. From financial espionage, which is a great word, to world travel, to spiritual seeking, he has captured the essence of living a life of success while upholding standards of human compassion and generosity. He contends that a balanced life includes both an inner and outer aspect. And only with that balance can a person's aims be realized peacefully. The intentional community he established 40 years ago continues to support and nurture the process by which an individual can uncover their natural consciousness by learning to identify and remove the obstacles to a more harmonious existence. And uh, Justin's latest book is called The Currency of Moments, Exploring Life's Anomalies Through Images and Ideas. And I know this is going to be backwards, but nevertheless, here it is. It's a beautiful book, Justin, really beautiful, uh, both, you know, on every level of pictures of, of the messages of the energy of it. So welcome, Justin, to Wisdom Talk Radio. Good to be here. So can I ask you to begin the the. Um, the subtitle of this book is Exploring Life's Anomalies Through Images and Ideas. What do you mean by anomalies? Well, it's generally thought that uh, a spiritual seeker needs spiritual circumstances to learn from. But what I was taught and what I've uh, learned and what I've uh, verified is that uh, all the circumstances in life are potential uh, teaching 
instruments and uh, a message, uh, an experience doesn't, or a circumstance doesn't necessarily have to be spiritual for a person to learn a spiritual lesson. Mm -hmm. So an, an anomaly in this case would be something that would be looked on as, as ordinary, something that could be looked on as uh, mundane, banal, mm -hmm. and beneath the surface, a person could extract something really fine from it. So uh, uh, the first book I wrote was a book about a poker player. And uh, the word anomaly was used uh, in the subtitle of that book as well, because the idea of uh, gambling and poker playing is uh, rarely seen as a, a a medium for telling a spiritual story. But I did use it for that. And uh, uh, part of the value I have for for uh, life is that uh, it is an extraordinary school if taken as it is. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't have to do too much to manipulate it for, uh, for us to be learners from it. We have to be willing. Yes, we do willing have to, to be willing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm struck by that. I'm going to have to go find that book because um, my father was a poker player and, um, and actually died at a poker table when I was oh my, my goodness. Um, so when you said that, it's just like, you know, what are the odds of <laughs> somebody on this show coming in and speaking to that? Um, yeah. So if you see another person buying that book, it's me. Okay. <laughs> so uh, there was something else I wanted to ask about because uh, it's, it's something that everybody's going through such great change right now. And, and while that's really always the case, I, I think um, the, the shift of moving into this new year always feels like when, when that happens, it always feels like a time when, when people are paying attention to great change. And um, in one of your uh, pictures and quotes, you speak to, stopping in the midst of change to open the door to new possibilities. And, and how does, how does that happen? Well, you're mentioning stopping. Stopping is one of the most difficult things to do because uh, momentum, you know, we know in, uh, in, in science, an object in motion remains in motion, and we are definitely in motion. We're either in motion keeping busy or we're in motion talking to ourselves or we're in motion physically going from place to place. And stopping is, is very challenging. I remember one time many years ago, this this ask this word stopping reminds me of of driving uh, across Colorado and uh, trying to get from I guess it's from uh, Kansas to Utah or whatever is on either Kansas to Nevada I guess it is is that correct Kansas um, <laughs> okay I won't I won't yeah, challenge it on, I'm, I'm in Colorado so <laughs> okay so uh, I was driving across and you know 65 miles an hour and <clears throat> I have a, 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 a somewhat of a fascination for birds of prey of hawks and eagles. They're beautiful to look at. And I saw one on the side of the road uh, in, a, in a different posture than one would ordinarily uh, see, see uh, an eagle on the side of the road. And I just kept driving because I had been driving. 
And I went about another mile and I said, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. If I was walking or on a bicycle or on a motorcycle or any other form of conveyance, I would stop to look. <laughs> but I didn't stop to look because it's hard to slow down. It's hard to stop. And it's something that we do have to understand about ourselves that we have adopted uh, a severe limitation of, of speed and and uh, momentum and in order to really appreciate something in the moment at least slowing down has to happen and even that's a challenge mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah do you have a way of teaching people how to slow down how to... i do can you speak to that a little no <laughs> it's not it's not that i it's not that i sell it i don't sell anything no I don't, no i don't do any anything for money really i have money taken care of so i don't have to do that mm -hmm. uh but there are some things that i just haven't figured out how to do over media i have become a lot more relaxed over it because this is something that I would not have done 20 years ago, even mm -hmm. been interviewed. But uh, my students have uh, 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 ganged up on me and, <laughs> and uh, gotten me to record more, record mm -hmm. more of what I say, write more, take more photos on the mm -hmm. things we've done. And I've been glad about it because like this last book was a product of taking photos. So, mm -hmm. so I have loosened up about that, but there's some things I just had never figured out how to put out in that way. So I can't. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand that. Um, as a person who works with energy in the service of consciousness, um, I've had to learn a lot about that and be willing to, you know, try things out and, and see, oh, I really can do this. I didn't think that I could do this like online, um, whatever the this is. And um, so thank you for that. I appreciate uh -huh. that. Right. There are things that definitely I could convey Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody asks for uh, uh, advice, relationship advice or financial advice or something like that, I might have something to say about it. Mm -hmm. But in terms of teaching meditation or teaching anything that really goes beneath the surface of things, I, I, I don't know how to utilize media in relation to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... You talk about success, or at least I, I haven't read what you've written other places about success, but I, your questions that you sent to me going into this were around success and about how does success lead to more success? And, and um, you know, how do we how do we follow success? So can you start to just op let's open that conversation? And what is it that you what is it that you have learned and what is it that you are seeing now about the nature of success? Well, I, I imagine that sometime uh, success was more modest. Uh, now success, because of what we've been exposed to, uh, is grandiose. In other words, a millionaire now is no longer a financial success. Mm -hmm. A billionaire is a financial success in terms of what we read in the news and what we see in the media. And so it's, it's a 
a monumental challenge to feel successful because success has also been linked to winning and and winning is a is a, a, a diabolical two-edged sword you know in baseball uh you in baseball uh, a, a really competent talented uh baseball player uh hits gets a hit one third of the time mm-hmm. The other two-thirds of the time, that person either strikes out or fouls out or uh, or uh, hits a ball that gets caught, doesn't get a hit. Now, in business, being successful one-third of the time is not considered successful. Mm-hmm. It's considered, how. <clears throat> let's talk about your failures. <laughs> so we have to really reassess the... the, uh, <clears throat> the quantification of winning and the value of winning because uh, life is filled with faux pas, you know, of mistakes. There's no, even a person who might be an enlightened human being can make a mistake, can see that mistake as he or she has made it, Mm -hmm. but can make a mistake. So the idea of winning is is really uh, detrimental to success because it also challenges our experimental attitude because how how careful do you have to be how careful does a politician have to be to always be right knowing that anytime they're wrong that that uh, incorrectness will be their reputation and that's unrealistic so i try to su- separate the idea of success from the idea of winning and i explore the idea of winning and how uh uh unattainable that winning is because there will be some wins and there will be some losses if you're an, an investor in the stock market and or certainly in cryptocurrency and you <laughs> and you expect all your your uh, uh, investments to be wins you're going to feel really bad if you're a poker player like your father was and you expect to win and win and win and you don't feel as good you don't you feel worse for your losing than you feel good for your winning that's a terrible formula for happiness yeah so i've done a lot of exploring that uh, in that question of success and and uh but the basis is one has to look at how one feels when it doesn't go well mm-hmm. and to study how how to change that it also sometimes goes- it will not go well Yes. And it also goes to innovation and and how can we how can we have the freedom to innovate, to to create even if we're afraid of not winning, if we're afraid of making a mistake, of being seen as making a mistake, whatever that might mean. So you speak you you I know speak to um the the process, shall we say. I don't know if that's even quite the right word about coming up with an idea that's more original than copied from something else. How do you do that? Well, I think to do that, uh, one has to go back and get to know oneself because innovation and originality are 
definitely different. There's been really very little originality. And originality is almost a magical uh, manifestation. Innovation is much more, uh, you know, like the, the movie of the guy who invented the windshield wipers that that uh, that go... Uh, you know, they're uh, very intermittent. intermittent windshield wipers. He started with a windshield wiper. And even the guy who invented the original windshield wiper started with some idea of wiping the window. So mm-hmm. originality, you know, at the uh, the poetry of Leonard Cohen or Bob Dylan, some of it is so unique that one can say that that is original. Mm-hmm. But so much of music and so much of songs and so much of poetry and songs is a takeoff on something else. And not that that's not, that can't be beautiful, mm-hmm. but to actually expect originality, uh, originality is a phenomenon that rarely happens. And it happens as a product of one really getting to know oneself. Mm-hmm. So a person knows when they're taking something from somebody else or taking something from something that's happened before and further developing it, mm-hmm. which, as I say, can certainly be beautiful. <laughs> uh, but uh, even innovation of a, of something other than the most surface kind takes knowing oneself. I think knowing oneself and seeing things as they are, whether they're external or internal, seeing them as they are, actually being able to call them what they are, like uh, like writing a book. You know, there's a certain format in the, in a book. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a certain size. Do you want this book to be five and a half, eight and a half, or nine by 11? That's copied and that's fine because mm-hmm. one doesn't have to make a Jackson Pollock painting Mm-hmm. You know, to to create art, one can be a phenomenal drawer and draw, you know, be on the street corner and draw pictures of faces and still mm-hmm. make phenomenal art. So uh, there, there's really a lot of self-knowledge and seeing things as they are that, in my opinion, uh, is a prerequisite that rarely happens to uh, to uh, mm-hmm innovation and certainly to originality. Yeah, I, I love that distinction between innovation and, and creativity or originality. Uh, it, most most of what I see people talking about with with innovation is an iterative process. Oh, we've got this and we're going to maybe tweak that and we're going to see how this works over here and then we're going to adapt it to this new situation. And uh, and while that that's a creative process, it is different than that emergence of something brand new. Um, it, it, and so you, you've said a couple of times, um, seeing things as they are. And... I'm what I'm thinking about is seeing things as perhaps they might be or as they might become um, seeing the, the potential, seeing the possibility. And that that strikes me as an aspect of the creative process. Yes, I totally agree. I call I call them four visions. I use that word four visions, mm-hmm. seeing seeing a possibility, whether whether it's something that you read about or you hear about or you experience in some special circumstances, whether it be drugs or nature or childbirth, but you see a possibility or you have just a thought in your head or a dream. 
and <clears throat> of something that's possible, but that's not an actuality in your life, mm -hmm. but you see it as somebody, something, or you see somebody else's accomplishment. Recently, I, I watched a movie about a, a lady who grew up under really rough circumstances <clears throat> and was a homeless child and ended up, uh, going to a foreign country, a, a, a third world country, and taking care of children and really going for it and taking care of children. And one could watch that movie and see there's a, really a lot to be done for people who are less fortunate. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, in an affluent con culture, one can uh, uh, curtain themselves off somewhat from that. And, and seeing that would be a forevision of maybe I should do that. Maybe I should get involved in that. Mm. Or anything one sees to get what you're describing as seeing a possibility that now doesn't exist. And mm -hmm. I, I, uh, I fully recognize that that's part of the process, seeing how things are now and things seeing how things could be. Yeah. It, it's one of the most exciting things really in the world to me is to be with people in that process of of helping them make a a thing that has not yet existed become real, uh, become manifest in the world. And particularly when that's something that is is designed to or has the potential to address a need. And you have done a lot in the in the in the world, in the social fabric of the world. What has moved you to do that? What's what's drawn you into that sphere? Well, I was born into this world and I was born into the phase that I see as accomplishment. I see life in that way that it's organized, not from outside, but it's organized by human nature, essential human nature, that at the beginning, we go out and explore. And that's as we should go out and explore, and we should be bold, and we should take chances. And, and we should learn how to do the different things that people do, include faking it, we should learn how to do that, we should learn how to be uh, okay in different circumstances, we should learn how to be experimental and try things and and not be reticent and and uh, withholding and that phase should take place until that becomes repetitious and then maybe another phase could enter but i think that phase which can last some time because mm -hmm. uh well it can also last too long because a person continues continues to continues to try to find something new externally mm -hmm. and doesn't recognize that there's another phase of internal exploration mm -hmm. but in in relation to your question i was born in new york city i was born in a relatively unusual uh family circumstance and uh and then i left it fairly at a fairly young age and went out and tried different things and and got good at different things and then became somewhat tired of the repetition of that because my going out and exploring was pretty bold uh, uh, and but in doing that I recognized in the internal quest that life is still the teacher and being able to 
know how it is to deal with children and animals and money and sex and and different languages and all these things that they're given to us as part of life for us to see both the surface of things and beneath the surface of things. And uh, I value that. And part of my teaching is to make sure that people are not are not reticent to live the external life. Uh, would it be true to say not willing or to live the external life in the service of the internal exploration? I'd say for starting, no. Okay. I'd say... I'd say uh, to live to begin the first phase of life, however many years that takes you, shouldn't take more than thirty, but it could take even forty. Mm-hmm. But in that time, um, uh, one has a license to be selfish, not selfish in a way to harm other people, mm-hmm. but what do I need to see? What do I need to do? Yeah. What do I need to make happen? And and not really be encumbered by by uh, the glorification of what could happen after that. Mm-hmm. This might, to some degree, disagree with the basic format of uh, uh, people pretending they're good and pretending they're caring and pretending in that first phase. I mm-hmm. think that the programming that has led to that pretending is, is uh, uh, not helpful. Mm-hmm. Because uh, because I see that first phase as a phase of acquisition, and I think that that's okay, and I think that uh, also the phase of learning how to express exactly what's going on with you, and mm-hmm. not pretending like everything that everyone does goes well with you. Uh-huh. It's a time. It's a time to recognize, to to uh, be embarrassed and be okay being embarrassed and and to be uh, acquisitive and to be okay being acquisitive. Mm-hmm. But as I say, I see this as a phase. I see that if that phase continues past the time that it should really continue, I see that as not only uh, personally self-destructive, but culturally and societally self-destructive. Mm-hmm. So we see some, what you might call grown-up grown-ups mm-hmm. that are still so self-serving that it just looks distasteful. Yeah. And it and it's it really does the world a disservice, as you say, because Absolutely. we can take all of that that part of life where we are learning, where we are exploring, where we get to move into new situations and, and be informed by them. And instead of taking that into its natural next phase, we stay stuck in that as if that's the only thing there is. And and being unwilling to um to, to make the inner journey. Yeah. So what's the secret, if there is one, to separating ourselves from situations that are not productive for us? Well, I, I, I don't know if they're secrets. 
they might be they might be challenging to undertake, but uh, the secret of losing weight is to eat less and get more exercise. <laughs> but it's not a secret, right? You understand? There are. I think uh, I I don't think really I am the purveyor of secrets. I am purveyor of encouragement of people knowing probably what they secretly or within themselves know is a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. So as to uncover those things. And there are so many things that are self-destructive that people do that they allow themselves to be unaware of, you know, by, uh, mm. by avoiding. I'm thinking of one, I don't know if this would apply in this case, and I don't even really know how it's going to come out, but let me try. Okay, sure. I, I was at a party some years ago, a, a get together some years ago, of people that were, uh, quote, spiritual uh, 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 seekers. <clears throat> and uh, it, it was a grouping, a, a loose form group lead, grouping that would look somewhat like a cocktail party where groups of people were sit, standing around talking to each other. And I was standing with a few people and we were talking <clears throat> uh, about some people that we've known and people that mentioned different names and somebody came up into our circle and the name Claudio Naranjo, I don't know if you're familiar with mm -hmm. that name, mm -hmm. came up and this person said, oh, I've read one of her books and Claudio Naranjo is a man. Right. <laughs> so somebody, I, I, I wouldn't, I don't try to embarrass people who mm -hmm. are looking to be, you know, looking for that experiment. Yeah. So I wouldn't say anything. But one of the people in that circle said, uh, oh, I think they may have even said I met Claudio Naranjo. Uh, I met her. And oh, uh, so, <laughs> even worse. <laughs> worse, yeah, worse. And somebody in the circle said uh, Claudio Naranjo is a, is a man because he was still alive at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this person was severely embarrassed. And the way they handled their embarrassment was, oh, I got to go now. And they went away. And for the rest of the party, they made sure that they didn't circulate around mm -hmm. any one of those people. But embarrassment is part of life. You know, we have self-images. We want to maintain them. Mm -hmm. We do incredible amounts of effort into maintaining them, our appearance, our speech, our everything, our everything. It's a big thing. So sometimes it's not going to quite work out. <laughs> and, and we're going to be embarrassed. And that's part of it. Mm -hmm. And we can see it and we can recognize something of our self-image and mm -hmm. how important it was to us. And we can we can even laugh a little bit at ourselves and how, you know, you slip and fall, and the first thing you want to do is not make sure you're okay, but make sure nobody saw you. Right, right. You know, I call them little deaths. And, yes. <laughs> and they are, in a way, little deaths, sometimes very little deaths, but they're like that, like everything is at risk and is at this yeah. moment. So uh, I, I see that uh, that in relation to the, what we're talking about, secrets, it's not a secret that we get embarrassed, but it's a, it is a secret that we try to go on to the next thing really quickly and get rid of it. <laughs> when we know in 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 medicine, even in enlightened medicine or in homeopathic medicine, that pain is an indicator of something, <laughs> an indicator of something that's not as it should be. Yeah. You know, 
and emotional pain is also an indicate of an indication of something that's not as it should be. And embarrassment is an emotional pain. It tells us something about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Why get rid of it? Why have it be so secretive? Because it's something that can teach us. So that's what I think about what the secrets are. The secrets are the things we already know that we try to bury and get rid of that really could be incredible teaching tools for us. To allow us to, to feel in the moment and not try and run away from that because it's like running away from something about yourself and an awareness that has the potential for opening a door. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, um, I'm, I'm very curious. There's a question that you, um, that you gave me. Um, I don't usually even, you know, say that, but I'm so interested in, in what you will say about this. And that is about how much does our, um, chronological age affect our goals and our decisions? Uh-huh. Important thing to recognize, and it is chronological, but it's also phaseological. Mm-hmm. So some people are children for a long time. <laughs> and sometimes some people are adults for too long a time. Yeah, You're starting too long. I don't mean aging too long. And yeah. some people like to pretend they're children for too long. Mm-hmm. Now, I at one time was uh, uh, enthusiastic about uh, uh, climbing at altitudes, mm-hmm. you know, mountains and, mm-hmm. and like that. And I, I knew about uh, 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 the different technology of mountain climbing and chocks and pitons and jumars and things like that and ropes. And I, I knew about that. And I, I liked that. There was something I liked about that. <laughs> But I can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't be at high altitudes because of chronolo- chronological age. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I could pretend and I could really even injure myself by doing that. Now, most things I can do, but some things I can't do. So I have to be realistic. Some people will not accept that transition. Now, there are things that I can do now. I can sit still, which I clearly could not do as a young man. <laughs> Going could back not. to that first where we started from about stillness. <laughs> yes, exactly. Could not do, could not entertain even doing, mm-hmm. but I can do now. And that's a tremendous gift, but it's a it's a manifestation of, of chronology in terms of actual physical aging. Now, there are other, as I say, phases in life, the way I see it, mm-hmm. uh, 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 that life is actually presented to us, whether we know it or not, and whether we like it or not, not from politics and not from sociology, but from the design that was created by something far greater than anything Mm -hmm. that I could do or any human could do is a a, a parabolic curve or even uh, uh, what are those things you throw in come a boomerang? Frisbee, a boomerang. A boomerang, mm-hmm. yes. And there's a going out phase. There's a going out where you explore. And then there's a phase when going out starts to become repetitious. As I say, maybe depending on how boldly you've lived life, when it gets repetitious, and that repetition has brings us to a point where we start to question 
Mm-hmm. The question, what am I doing? What am I doing? Not what am I doing? How can I do more in terms of going out? But how, what is this going out? I've been married three times. Okay. Is a fourth time really going to be the key? I've started three businesses. I've had, I've been to 50 different countries. Is one more country? We start to question. I consider <laughs> that the part of the the boomerang that starts to slow down and come around. And then there's the coming home. Coming home, which is the one we learn the least about in our culture. You know, we learn the most about the going out and we learn a little less, but plenty about what to do if you start to question. But we don't really learn much about the coming home. So I see life coming in phases, Mm -hmm. not only physically, but as it is in phases. And if we are balanced and functioning within those phases, there'll be messages for us, there'll be help for us, mm-hmm. there'll be momentum for us even. But if we try to go against those phases. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm acutely aware of that in the last couple of years, having uh, lost or, well, loss isn't even the right word, but having had a, a couple of very, very close friends who have moved on in life. Um, and and that transition has caused me to reflect on what is that and how is that? And to have watched them move through those that boomerang, that other side of the boomerang coming back home uh-huh. and... And in reflecting on, you know, things that they have said and then seeing how, oh, I can imagine that now of, of, mm, yeah, I can understand why you're saying you don't want to travel anymore or you don't have that draw to it or that there's other things that start calling forth to be explored, to be reckoned with or realized. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I have to contradict myself. Uh, or or the concept of what one might get from what I do myself. I still am an ardent traveler. I'm an ardent Me too. Risk, <laughs> risk taker. Mm-hmm. I'm an ardent, uh, I, I enthusiastically look for anything that's, that's uh, really different that I perhaps have not crossed paths with. Mm. And uh, uh, what I'm not an ardent uh, pursuer of is repetition. Uh, I'm okay for repetition to some degree. And uh, that's, um, I might have, my life might have taken a different path had I had more of a personal style of repetition because I started playing the violin when I was very young, maybe four years old. And I was, I was a bit of a prodigy by the time I was 10. But by the time I was 14 and Elvis came around, the repetition of practicing, even the word practicing. Right graded on me so Mm -hmm. and that's still very much the case for me that repetition non-productive repetition uh is not attractive to me although i do see that uh, areas in which repetition can be productive and i'm definitely in favor of that because i teach tools Mm -hmm. and and uh Using a tool requires repetition. Uh, so I am mm-hmm. in favor of productive repetition, but not 
non-productive repetition. <laughs> it's a good distinction to make. Uh-huh. Uh, I, you know, I, I have friends that want to eat the same thing at the same restaurant all the time. And I'm always looking for, well, what's new? You know, what, what, what could be created here? I don't even like to cook the same thing. Mm usually more than once, mm-hmm. maybe twice, but it's, it's that, Ooh, what else is possible kind of, um, exploration. Mm-hmm. So is out of the box still in the box? Well, I think it's, it's rare that out of the box is anything other, but in the box, <laughs> <laughs> but it, as I said earlier, it's, <clears throat> Uh, actual creativity is rare and should be recognized as rare and should be recognized with reverence and recognized with with respect and really somewhat of awe mm-hmm. and to be able to distinguish uh, the difference of what I said between innovation or tweaking mm-hmm. or even more than tweaking and originality because originality comes very rare and i'm i'm saying this and i'm repeating myself because i i want to bring it across to whoever's listening to that this that if you do cross paths with something that's really different mm-hmm. you know now bands when a band sets up they set up like the beatles set up mm. 60 years ago with the mm-hmm. bass player or the guitar player and like that their music might be completely different, but there is an amount of innovation and that music can be extraordinary. Mm-hmm. But someone decided, someone at some point decided something. You know, mm-hmm. maybe the Grateful Dead decided it was okay to do a performance where you just kept playing for mm-hmm. hours and people. it was up to people to listen or not. That mm-hmm. had not happened before. But... Uh, I think there's so much in the box that can be beautiful, but out of the box is just different. Is And the word that comes up as I'm listening to you is for me is courage and on both on two sides, the courage, of course, to, I would say it this way, to follow that inner voice, to bring forth that creative expression. I also, that takes a kind of courage to recognize it to not dismiss it, to, to not want to separate yourself from it and to, you know, have the courage to look at it and, and realize that you're, that you're in the presence of something that is original. Yeah. Congratulations on that. I think that realization is uh, out of the box. Mm. Mm. So there was something that, um, is interesting to me when I hear people speak a lot about, Oh, you know, I understand that I've got that, you know, don't need to worry about that. Kind of like the versions of I've got that covered. How does that, well, how does that limit our, our openness to what's new and what's possible? Yeah. Good question. Uh, I, I, I see that, that uh, our feeling of comfort is is so pervasive that uh, that in the moment that we we manifest self-destructively to maintain 
that comfort what what is the word that you used in that question what is the um that i've got you covered yeah covered yeah that expression i got you covered mm -hmm. uh, i have that covered yeah the idea of i have that covered means that uh that the discomfort of knowing that something I haven't experienced, the discomfort of knowing that there's something that I don't know yeah. is something that I want to cover up. So I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It could even happen uh, uh, in this watching this interview. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it could happen in reading a book. Uh, yeah, I've heard that before. I've read mm -hmm. that before. I know about that. Yeah. And sometimes the answer is, yes, you do. But sometimes the answer is no, you don't. Mm -hmm. And if you're not free to choose that option, there's you're limiting yourself to something. If you're not really paying attention and being open to the fact that mm -hmm. something could be presented to you that has never been presented to you before. Mm -hmm. now, without, without, uh, uh, I shouldn't say without, I shouldn't preface this. I know things that other people don't know. That's clear to me. That isn't, a, you know, like a car mechanic could say that about their mm -hmm. skill. I know things other people don't know. I know that I can present them in ways that haven't been presented before. Mm -hmm. But I have done that, and people can can say to me, uh, yeah, I, I, I've heard that before. I know that before. And mm -hmm. I know that they haven't. So I try to present it in a different way because my purpose is for them to get it, for, not, for me to put it out. Right. You know? Right. Uh, so, I, I recognize the limiting element of of uh, having to <laughs> having to respond with that need for comfort to say, mm -hmm. uh, "I'd be uncomfortable to think that you know something I don't know. I'd be uncomfortable mm -hmm. to think that you've been to a place I haven't been, whether it's in mm -hmm. consciousness or in geography." Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> And uh, it, it inhibits our ability to be open and to listen. Yeah. I, I spent so much of my early years feeling like I had to be on top of things, feeling like I had to know. And, um, and that both pissed people off and absolutely limited me in, in what I could discover. Um, and now I'm at a place in life. It's, it's so interesting to me. There's a lot of change going on within my own life right now. And what I keep feeling and what I keep saying is, I don't know. I don't know anything. And that's, it's, it's really where I am is because there, everything feels so, so new, so different. So, I can't predict. I, you know, and I know I can always go inside and ask what I need to do or what I need to understand about this moment or anything. And what the overarching, my overarching experience is right now is that one of, oh my goodness, <laughs> let's see. Mm -hmm. Well, that the ability to be able to sit with that is a remarkable ability and a testament to someone's. <laughs> Uh, struggles, accomplishment, life experiences, whatever, because mm. there at, at some point some years ago, somebody wrote a book 
uh, uh, or at least the book was called and talked about something that they called spiritual materialism. I think spiritual materialism is a very important thing to understand because at one point, uh, spiritual quest was was a very uh, a, a tolerated subject. It was a big subject. If you looked at the bulletin boards uh, uh, in universities, mm. there were a lot of, uh, of entries, a lot of things stuck to the bulletin boards. Mm. Go to this meeting, that meeting. Mm. Spirituality was very, let's say, popular. Mm. And materialism was much less popular to those people. Now, that has changed. And spirituality has become much less important, and materialism has become much mm -hmm. more important. Mm -hmm. So the, but the synthesis of those two things has also changed in that uh, the the materialism part of spirituality at one time was very small. Mm -hmm. The materialism part of spirituality now is very large. So spiritual materialism or what I might call control. The idea of, uh, of attaining control through uh, connection with something that's so great, it manifests us. And we have no business ever conceiving our control of it. But in our, in our uh, uh, language, in our development mm -hmm. of ideas, we try to control that which should not be controlled. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and we avoid lessons, whether it's life lessons or bigger lessons, that put us in a position of being in less control, being standing under. We avoid mm -hmm. those. Mm -hmm. But in order to really enter the finer world of, of, of the spirit, mm -hmm. one must be receptive to being out of control. Yeah. Yeah. And where does that learn? It certainly shouldn't be learned in what I'm calling this first phase. It shouldn't be learned there because that's a phase in which we should learn how to get control. <laughs> you know, to feel okay to mm -hmm, get control, mm -hmm, but then slowly recognize that control isn't always appropriate. Now, it's appropriate for your investments. You know, one mm -hmm. wants to control one's finances. Okay. One wants to control what one eats and, you know, control mm -hmm. things of the body. But things of the spirit, to go into the deepest form of meditation, mm -hmm. we're trying to we're trying to make a reconnect with something that gave us life. Mm -hmm. How can we possibly entertain control in that regard? Yeah. And... <clears throat> So this idea of, of exploring our spiritual materialism, exploring our new age concepts that allow and encourage spiritual materialism, exploring that and seeing where it fits and where it doesn't fit, mm -hmm. I consider really important. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's, um, yeah. I, 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 I don't speak to, or I don't think about spiritual materialism, but the way that you just spoke to that and described that and you know, spoke to that reality of we always are stepping into or or being thrust into the void, that that empty space. And if we don't know, if we're not comfortable in hanging out there and we just try and control it, try and fill it, try and give it an explanation or a name, we miss out. 
on that, on what that growth in that moment is. Yeah. Mm, Justin, would you, I mean, I feel like we could go on and on and what you just opened up. I'd love to go. I, I, that's almost like a starting place for a whole other conversation. Uh, and I recognize our time is coming to a close. So would you tell people how they can find out more about what you're up to in the world, um, how they can get your books, all of that? Okay, well, all, all my books are available on Amazon. Okay. I, my name is Justin, but I don't use the name Justin because... Justin Gold is the name of the peanut butter baron. And uh, <laughs> and so, so I decided that I would go by J.J. Gold because so as not to be confused with the peanut butter baron. Oh, my goodness. I didn't I don't know who that is. So, <laughs> well, he's a he's a brilliant businessman who created an empire out of uh, making peanut butter. OK. <laughs> and uh, his name is Justin Gold. So <clears throat> so. Uh, if you go under Amazon under JJ Gold, you can uh, you can get any of my books. If you my website is justingold.net. Is that correct? Is that correct? Justingold.net, mm-hmm. and you can hear all about me. And if you can't afford books, which are really pretty low priced anyway, then let me know. I don't do any of it for money. So mm-hmm. if you can't afford it and you want to get one of my books, let me know and and uh, email through the website and we'll send you one or two or whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And also another website that might be interesting is, is our social work website, which I consider a big part of what we do because... Mm-hmm. Let me say that in the in the esoteric world, you never can be positive. You know, you never can be positive. You can be pretty sure. Even I can be pretty sure. And sometimes I'm pretty sure. But to say positive, it doesn't exist there. Yeah. But one thing is positive. If you see a kid who's starving and you give him food, that's positively good. So we do, we do, uh, we have a social work program. We've gone around the world to do disaster relief. We're going actually next week uh, to Mexico to to give some assistance to people who are on that trail from South America to the U.S. border to mm-hmm. hopefully get in and whether they get in or not or whether it's good for them or not. But mm-hmm. I know that there is a lot of hardship Mm-hmm. Going on there. Mm-hmm. So we're going on down there and spending a month and trying to lend some assistance there. Mm-hmm. So our website that shows all our programs over the years is uh, ccns-inc.org. ccns-inc.org. Right. That's our, <laughs> CCNS is our uh, nonprofit organization. So we do that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was very intrigued by that. I went to take a look at that and and um, you're doing some remarkable and simple sometimes things and yeah. and in their simplicity, they are remarkable. Yeah, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Thank you for this time. I have so um, appreciated being with you, having a conversation and and feeling. You know, I always have the opportunity to discover something new. And when I do, as I have today, I I have deep appreciation. It's been great for me, too. Thank you. And I never say what I don't think. (laughs) Good.
And I want to thank our audience for being with us today here at Wisdom Talk Radio. Join us here regularly for more inspiration, discovery, and illumination. Remember, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. We are now also on YouTube, which is very exciting to me. And if you've enjoyed listening today, please leave us a review because that helps more people to access the wisdom and to transform the world. And for more about deepening your connection with your own inner guidance, take the Quantum Connection Quiz now. See you next time. Thanks for joining us here at Wisdom Talk Radio. We wish you well in your conscious explorations. For more information and to join in the conversation, our website is wisdomtalkradio.com or at Wisdom Talk Radio on Facebook. Facebook.